We all want to be happier, but how do we get there? First, we start by realizing happiness is not a destination. Being happy consists of micro action steps every single day. I'm your host, Brittany King, and I'm here to guide you along the way. Welcome back to the Positively Real podcast. I am your host and coach, Brittany King. And I had to hit record because we were already diving into this episode with Kay before I hit record. And I was like, wait, we need to record our conversation because there's so many juicy nuggets that I can already tell are going to come. But welcome to the show, Kay. Kay was a senior vice president at a global ad agency and a single mom as her drinking escalated to the point where she went alcohol free. And now Kay has helped hundreds of women stop the drinking spiral and live wildly successful and satisfying life substance free using her juicy AF program. Oh my gosh, Kay, like that in and of itself. I'm like, let's just freaking chat about it. I cannot wait to talk to you about this like sober free life and what has opened up for you. Um, and especially like being a new mom, there is just like this very interesting, I don't want to say stigma, but there's like this conditioning where being a mom and like drinking goes hand in hand. And I've noticed it of like, just like wine and like unwinding from the day. And I'm just so curious about like where that comes from. Um, and I'm just excited to like hear your perspective and take on it. Brittany, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. This is fabulous. Well, I'll tell you what happened for me. I was newly sober and I walked into a recovery meeting and there was a woman at the front of the room who was telling her story. She was gorgeous. She was dressed in designer clothes. She was very articulate and she was telling her story. And she said, and I quote, It was 3 a.m. in my living room. I was there with my husband, my boyfriend, and the police, and I thought that was perfectly normal. And she threw back this glorious mane of hair and laughed. And I had this visceral reaction because at the time, I was buried under layers of shame and remorse and regret and embarrassment and hiding, all topped off with pretending that there's nothing to see here, ma'am, pass on by, you know? Mm. And she embodied this sense of vibrance and hope and complete freedom from all the things that were suffocating me. And that's why I started Juicy AF, where the AF also means alcohol-free, because I want to embody that same hope and freedom and possibility for other women. Oh my gosh. Isn't it amazing those moments that like just stick with you and you look back and you think, okay, this is a life-changing moment. And the power that came from just experiencing someone just own their story it gave you permission to do the same and then create juicy AF. So let's just start from the beginning okay. because I know, um, juicy AF, like what you do is you help stop the drinking spiral, unleash your future. Um, so what does that actually mean? Like walk us through that. What I have found is that 
you know, there are 15 million people in America that have been diagnosed with alcohol use disorder. I was not one of them. I have never been diagnosed as having a problem with alcohol. But what I found was surprising to me, it actually made me baseline more anxious. It rewires our neural circuitry to make us more anxious and more impulsive, even when we're not drinking. And it also rewires us so that picking up a drink seems like the answer to all our problems and we do it habitually. Mm -hmm. So what I help women do, and I only work with women, Brittany, um, what I help women do is, first of all, get really clear about what alcohol is giving them, because we wouldn't do something if we weren't getting something from it, and also what it's costing them. Mm -hmm. I ask them to get really clear, and I have exercises and tools to be able to help get really clear on your vision of your ideal future self. What kind of woman do you want to be in three years or five years or at the end of your life? And then to really ask yourself, is my drinking self in line with that or is it not? And then I invite women into an experiment. You know, I was raised by two scientists and I love experiments. And so the experiment is come play with being alcohol free and use some of these tools for 21 days. And if it's better, alcohol-free, great. And if it's not, do something else. Um, And so I help women set themselves up with their environment and their social life so that they are creating um, an alcohol-free place for themselves to live. And also I teach them to substitute, you know, instead of picking up a drink, do these you know, five or six things instead. And then we work on how to handle seven sticky situations. So I give Mm -hmm. them, I arm them with tools in that first 21 day experiment um, so that they can exist in their skin alcohol free with a game plan, with a map and with some camaraderie and some connections with other women doing the same thing. Mm. I love that so much. So there's, so, I mean, backtracking a little bit, what have you found with the women that you've worked with? Like, are there common themes with the reason why like the drink is the first answer? Well, a lot of it comes down to this old story that runs a lot of hot, highly successful women. And that's the story that we aren't enough that we're not good enough, thin enough, smart enough, old enough, young enough, you know, fill in the blank enough, or it's twin sister, we're way the heck too much. (laughs) And between those two stories, you don't have a lot of comfort. So that is underneath a lot of it. The second thing, Brittany, that I've found is that most people that end up having an issue with alcohol are exquisitely sensitive human beings. And we are these antenna that are constantly picking up other people's signals and information. And I got overwhelmed with all of that and didn't know how to discern what was mine and what was somebody else's, let alone knowing how to protect myself and how to clear other people's energy out. And so those are the kinds of things that I teach. Hmm. 
So yeah, that, that enoughness, that, that lie of scarcity. And it's so interesting how it trickles into all areas of our life. So with, you know, drinking and, and realizing like, if it's not aligned with your future self, what are the steps that someone can take if they look at like their current self and how they engage with alcohol and the future version of themselves? Like what, what, how do they take the steps to, to get there? Well, I think that the most important thing is having a program and having a community mm-hmm. to go through this. You know, we all live in these circles of fear. And one mm-hmm. of the ways that I've found is two ways that are very helpful to walk through that fear. One is having a map and a program. And the second is to have relationships with other people that are doing the same thing at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, so there are several things that I'll point to, though, that are really important steps. One is to make a 100% commitment to this experiment, right? So it could be a seven-day experiment. It could be a 21-day. It could be whatever you want it to be. But it is actually easier to make a 100% commitment to something than it is to make a 98% commitment because then it keeps your brain always deciding, is this the exception? Is this not the exception, mm-hmm. right? So I encourage mm-hmm. people to make a 100% commitment. Um, getting down to our old stories, the old patterns that we picked up as little people or just from being a woman alive in you know, the 2000s, um, a lot of us do pick up stories about being inadequate and those things really do get in our way. What I teach the women I work with is A, how to identify what those old stories are. And then B, we work together to identify two to three spiritual principles that are a powerful antidote to that old story. So if my story is, you know, I'm not good enough, what I've actually found is that being rigorously honest is a great antidote, being compassionate and telling the truth. So I now, I mean, because of that woman, I now can talk about, yeah, I think I'm not good enough, or I think I'm going to be happy if I lose seven pounds or whatever, whatever it may be. I now have the matter of factness and comfortableness Mm -hmm. in my own skin that I can actually say those things. Hmm. So how do you identify this, the, the old stories that ultimately leads people to like wanting to drink, to shove down the uncomfortable emotions that comes up with those stories? Well, I have this exercise that I call the seven whys. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable, well, what's going on underneath that? Why is, you know, why are you feeling uncomfortable? And they'll say something. Well, why is that important to you? Right. So I ask why until we get down to this root. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, I've done this for so many women now. I kind of know the five or seven that you're going to hear. Right. Right. If you're a mom, so, it's I'm not happy until everybody else is happy. Totally. Right? Yeah. Let's hear those things. Cause it's super interesting. Cause like, even with like coaching, been doing it for a while, it really always comes down to feeling undeserving or unworthy. Yes. Or unseen. Unseen. Yeah. And so it's so much easier. And there's like this conditioning 
that having a drink is going to make that go away where it doesn't, it goes away temporarily. And there's like a moment where you're not feeling that way and not thinking that way. But then what happens afterwards that I've noticed is when you wake up, it's much louder and much more harsh and much meaner than in the moment that you originally felt that way. Well, and there's a biological reason for that. It's not something, well, the biology is that your neural circuitry rewires and you can drink as little as seven drinks a week. That's less than two bottles of wine. Seems like a really small amount to me. Right. Yeah. Um, seven like normal size drinks, not the big tumblers yeah. a week. That's all it takes to rewire your neurology. So fascinating. So before we hit record, I was telling Cause she was asking me like, you know, where do I stand with drinking and back in the day? And I, this was how, what led me to, to coaching is like, I used to like my whole MO, I didn't think about my future self. I just wanted to drink and black out. And like, you know, in college and early twenties, like that just seemed like the normal thing to do. Uh, but then when I started doing this work, I realized that there was a lot of lack of self-love, um, very low, low confidence that not enoughness. And that was truly me masking how I felt about myself. Um, but I didn't realize it was a, a quote unquote problem because like everyone was doing that or so it seemed, but for whatever reason, I would be the one that was always the hot mess express, however we want to describe it. Um, and then what has been so interesting through my journey with alcohol is I was used to be so black or white, all or nothing. And so I used to be like, I'm going to do whole 30 and I'm going to eat this way and I'm not going to drink. And that was great. Well, then what happened when that whole 30 was done? It was like the all, like, it didn't matter that I did that because I just started falling right back into those habits and patterns, which led me into life coaching. Cause I really wanted to understand the root. I was like, why do I keep doing this? And so the last straw that I had with this experience was actually at my bachelorette. I didn't drink for a couple of months leading up to it. I drank on my bachelorette. And I had an experience where I totally disassociated from my body. And I was like a shell of a person. All of my best friends were like, what is wrong? I couldn't vocalize it. I was like, I wasn't there. Something happened, something triggered me, but because I, I was drinking, I, there was just like this total disconnect. Um, and it was a real big wake up call for me because I was physically there, but I knew I wasn't, I wasn't mentally, emotionally, spiritually there. And that was a really like, oh, there's like something going on brewing beneath the surface. And that's what led me to understanding my stories and beliefs around myself. Um, and through this work, like I don't, I don't need anything to help me take away the edge or how I'm feeling because I'm now in this place where I can sit and be present with myself in these difficult emotions and thoughts that come up about myself and not feel any shame around it. So tell me what like shame has to do with these drinking habits, because I know I was hiding so much of my shame through drinking alcohol. Well, you said a lot, the shame and the hiding is definitely a hallmark of drinking. That's a bit out of control. So if you're hiding or you're sneaking or you're pretending, you're throwing away a bottle so nobody will see, you know, that kind of stuff, that is 
an indicator that something is up. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that, you know, Brene Brown says that guilt is about something that we did or didn't do. And mm-hmm. shame is about something we are or are not. And so it's another label to put on the I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. What I find is that that edge that needs to be taken off is fear in a thousand different forms. Fear oh. of our inadequacy. We're mm-hmm. irritated, we're exhausted, we're whatever. But if you do the seven why questions, you will figure out pretty fast that it's all motivated by fear, which mm-hmm. is why substituting a spiritual principle for whatever story, whatever brand of fear runs you is so powerful. Because when I live and I'm practicing patience for a week, I'm much less likely to develop that edge to start with. Mm -hmm. And so the first phase of my program helps people take the edge off without picking up a drink, Mm. but the full recovery doesn't really come until you're able to live with enough equanimity and a sense of comfort in your skin, even when you're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Mm. that you don't have to pick up. Yes. Well, and so what's so fascinating about all of this is like, for me, um, because like even before I got pregnant, like I just slowly stopped caring about drinking or like, it used to be like all about like, where are we going to get drinks? We're going to do like in order to feel comfortable. And I noticed it was like less and less, the more comfortable I became with myself. And then I got pregnant and which was great. So I was like, I don't even like, like drinking anymore, which is so bizarre. Cause I used to be like, where's the next party? Um, and I went to concerts. I was the last one on every dance floor at a wedding, like all of the things. And I think I, from my experience, I had even more fun. Um, and I've slowly like had a drink here, there, but like, it's so fascinating. Cause I just don't even care for it. Like it, I think it literally has shifted in my identity of how I identify with the alcohol. Now, what I'm curious about is like for the people that feel more comfortable, after they have a drink or are in social settings and like feel like alcohol helps them like be more fun. Cause I feel like that was my biggest thing was like, if I stop drinking alcohol, are people going to think I'm not fun? Well, I'm going to tell you a story as an answer. So my husband threw this amazing birthday party for me. I have a shock of white hair. My hair is pure white. And so, and I had just gone white. And I decided because I looked like a little old lady that it was going to be the blue haired party. And so, and, and we held it at this venue and the guy that owned it, owned the venue said to me, well, you know, the three things that make a good party are good food, good conversation, and good wine. I'm like, Hey, we're all sober. We're not going to be ordering any drinks. He's like, well, we'll see. Right. Oh my God. Like my 90 year old mother wore a blue wig We had 60 people, everybody had on blue wigs. One of my friend's boyfriends was Marge Simpson. It was hilarious. We laughed and we danced and we did, we had a crazy photo booth with props. And the next day the guy says to me, well, you sure didn't need booze to have. Right? (laughs) I love that story. Cause it's like, it's so true. It's like, why? Why, what is the conditioning in our society that says that 
alcohol equals more fun? You know, I think that more troubling actually to me is what you were talking about before the mommy wine culture. Mm-hmm. So back in the 1950s, housewives had mommy's little helper and it was Valium. Mm. And it was because housewives were bored out of their freaking minds. Mm-hmm. And I think today we also have mommy's little helper and it's because we are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. We're overwhelmed, especially coming out of the pandemic when mm-hmm. during the pandemic, working moms were having meetings like this on Zoom and trying to make sure that two or three kids were paying attention. And the, I mean, mm-hmm. overwhelmed because no individual human being could do what we were being told we had to do. Mm-hmm. And I find this idea that we can't raise our children without drugging ourselves to be part of the patriarchy. And I think it's BS. I've raised kids for the past 23 years without a drink. Have I gone to bed at seven o'clock some nights? Yeah. Yeah, I really have. Have I had to leave the house because I've been so pissed? Yeah. Yeah, I really have. But I feel like drinking even seven drinks a week drains us of our light and our energy and our sparkle and our wisdom and our ideas and our knowing. And Mm -hmm. to drain that away, I feel like the world needs us to stop doing this. I'm not the anti-fun police and I am not the, oh, if you feel like drinking after being alone with a toddler all day, there's something wrong with you. I mean, seriously, I went back to work because I could not handle being home with a toddler, three of them. Um, But it's kind of a feminist issue for me. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, the world needs women's energy right now more than ever. And to be draining it, going through our lives, you know, buzzed at night and hungover or more anxious during the day, we are doing ourselves and we're doing our families and we're doing our communities a huge disservice. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) you are speaking straight to my soul. Um, I've recently shifted my offering and helping more women like in their coaching and service career, their business, because we, I agree. I'm like, we need more women owning their light and sharing their gifts. It's like how the paradigm is going to shift. And I agree. I mean, I think back on, I mean, especially with a, a baby, I don't have a toddler yet, but I imagine being hung over with a toddler is some sort of form of punishment. I mean, even like going out and staying up late and which I did recently for a wedding, which was fantastic. Haven't done that in a long time, but babies gonna wake up at the same time, no matter what. Yeah. It's really and true. It's like, and like, that is like my constant reminder of like, I want to be my best self for her. I have to be my best self for me first. I can't show up for her. If I am tired, hungover, I can't be present with her. Um, and I don't ever, I like, don't want to look back and like regret those times where I wasn't, wasn't me. Um, so that just speaks directly to my soul. Now I'm curious for like the people that are more like sober curious and they're not like, they don't want to do all or nothing like me. I have learned from the all or nothing. It doesn't serve me. Um, I definitely now I'm like, I will 
have maybe one drink every other week, if that, um, what about those people that are just like, they don't want to be like completely sober, but they also like, if they want to have a glass of champagne at a wedding celebration, they're, they, they're okay with that. You know, there are some people that can do that. And there are some mm-hmm. people who can't. So one of the yeah. things that I'm launching here soon is um, just a little seven day experiment. It's a pick your own adventure, seven day experiment. And it, like the first one is never drink more than two drinks for the next seven days in a row and see what happens. Can you really, can you really do that? And there are a lot of people who can, and quite frankly, even three, four, five years before I stopped, I don't think I would have been able to do that. Mm. So the question is, can you really, Yeah. can you really not only do it, but enjoy yourself? Yes. So let's talk about that because I do think there's this, I mean, I know from my own experience of like feeling more comfortable in the past having a drink. So let's say someone's like, does the experiment, but the thing that they're most nervous about is feeling like an apple amongst oranges, Mm -hmm. like they're at a setting with all their friends and like they decide they're not gonna have a drink and it's just like really uncomfortable. How do you work with your clients through that? So first of all, I'm not going to tell you that once you stop drinking, you're just going to be totally comfortable in your skin and all circumstances because your body's adjusted to having alcohol come in on a regular basis. And so baseline, you're more anxious and you're more impulsive. And it takes Mm -hmm. a while of not having any alcohol, weeks, months, for those neural circuits to adjust back. And so that first part is really flipping uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is why it's so important to have a program and to have yeah. some camaraderie with mm-hmm. other women that are doing the same thing. I teach people how to handle sticky situations. And um, my favorite when people say, why aren't you drinking? You know, why don't you want a glass of wine? Which by the way, in 23 years, I've been asked that maybe three times. I say, oh, when I drink, my clothes fall off. And then I laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I might have to steal that. Well, because right now in the season, we're like, are you pregnant? Like, it's like, it's like this like thing, right? Um, I love that. If I drink, my clothes fall off, especially with the holidays coming up, you know, yeah, Thanksgiving with family, passive aggressive comments, then there's Christmas parties, and then there's New Year's. So let's walk through a couple of more like sticky situations to help people gear up for the holidays. Well, it used to be when I would be invited to parties that I would bring booze with me because <clears throat> I was never sure if they were going to have enough. And now I bring beverages with me. It's just they're seltzer water and, you know, <laughs> Less seltzer water. Yeah, seriously. Um, so I bring my own bottle. It's just now it's you know Pellegrino instead of vodka. Uh, so I'm a big kombucha fan. I bring kombucha. There you it's go. My, yeah. There you go. Um, it's really important to have a plan before you go into those situations, mm. and I want to tell you that there are several things. I think that being prepared is the most important thing. So I will make sure that A, I have my own wheels so I can leave 
when things start getting dicey because they do. Um, I also make sure that I fix myself something to drink first and I'll, I'll have seltzer water with a splash of lemonade or cranberry and put a squeeze of lime in it. Looks fancy, looks pretty. And then nobody's going to ask me, can I get you something to drink? Right. <clears throat> and, um, I will excuse myself. Oh, I'm so sorry. I need to make a pit stop or, Oh, I'm so sorry. My dog needs walking. I mean, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I need to set up, step outside and make a telephone call. I will literally remove myself from really awkward situations. And, you know, I also sometimes bring a sober buddy with me. Hey, is it okay if I bring my friend Annie with me? Um, I mean, no, my husband is also alcohol free. So it's, uh, and I've done this for 23 years. So to now I just don't care. Right. I will also tell you that people really don't care what you're drinking. And if they do, they probably have a little bit of an issue too. Yeah. And like they're more, they're uncomfortable by it. Like they're triggered by you doing something. Right. And they have to look, you know, oh, you're my drinking buddy. Now you're not drinking. Right. Ooh, what does that mean about my drinking? A thousand percent. You not want to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So those are all great, like strategies for, especially in the beginning, like, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. So like, like you get, I think you get to a point where you really don't care. Um, uh, but someone that's just, that is sober curious and want like wants to have a holiday season where maybe they don't have a drink. And so those are great strategies. Are there anything else that you find helpful? I do think community and that like support is everything, especially because we already have such a thing with belonging. You know, it's like, we just so badly want to fit in with the, the tribe. And sometimes that means going out of integrity with what you truly want for yourself. So having that person there to like help you feel like you belong, I think is so beneficial. The only other thing that I would say under my be prepared motto is if somebody asks you why you're not drinking, have two or three responses. Oh, not Mm. tonight. Oh, I have to get up early tomorrow morning or, you know, my favorite clothes. (laughs) I love that. I might have to steal that one. Oh, I stole it. So please use it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is so great. So, okay. So, you know, a big part of what you teach with GCAF is like to change that story, right. To living, um, alcohol free. And let's talk about like unleashing your future. So how does stopping the drinking spiral ultimately help you unleash your future? And I just think like ultimate potential. Oh, I love this question. (laughs) (laughs) I, again, going back If you know what your ideal future self really is, who she is and who you want to be, it's so important and so cool to know what are the principles behind how this woman, me in the future, how she acts, how she comports herself, how she responds to people, how she shows up in the world. And then I have a series of tools to help people get there. But what's unusual about them, the first is tapping into your intuition and natural clairvoyance. So I teach my clients, I believe that all of us are 
intuitive and have a little bit of psychic ability to us. Alcohol blocks that psychic ability. It numbs it out, it cuts it off. And so once you're alcohol free, I teach the women that I work with how to use their intuition. I teach them clairvoyant tools to be able to manage their own energy and make sure that the vibe that they are embodying and putting out in the world matches the vibe of their ideal future self, Mm. which is super fun. That is so fun. So tell me one of the tools that you use, like what is an easy tool that someone could um, implement to connect with this future self? So most of these tools are visualization tools. So anybody can do them. Um, If you sit in a chair vertical and uh, you close your eyes, I invite people to imagine that from their sits bones, there is a cord or a tail or a empty tree trunk that goes all the way down into the center of the earth. And it like snaps into the center of the earth, kind of like a seatbelt clicking into place. And then I ask them to imagine, and this tube, this cord releases anything that you're ready to let go of that no longer serves you. So you set that intention with your mind. And then I ask them to imagine a giant golden sun above their heads. That is whatever spiritual principle they are practicing that week or whatever they feel a lack of or want to be aligned with. And I ask them to fill that gold sun up with that quality. And then I, they pop the bottom of it and that golden sun just floods down from their forehead to their nose, down their throat, you know, and anything that isn't in alignment with that vibe just goes down that cord. Oh my God. I love that. I feel like even as you were talking about it, I was just like imagining I had such a visualization of that. I'm super curious about when you're working with someone that might have trauma from the past, like unresolved trauma, I noticed that there is a challenge disconnect with visualization and meditation. So have you run into that with your clients where you have them try to tap into their intuition in that way, using visualization and like, they just can't. Yeah. And you know what, these are tools and suggestions and invitations. They are not there's something wrong with you if you can't do this or if it's just really black for you. Um, I am a healer. And so a lot of times I'll do like energy healing on them. And I also really strongly suggest to the women that are in my programs that they be simultaneously getting appropriate Mm -hmm. help for their trauma. That's not my sweet spot. I certainly yeah. have had trauma and gone through my own things with trauma, right? But, but I do yeah. not feel qualified, whatever. Um, I do not feel qualified, whatever, to be able to work on that directly. I will say though that most of the women that I know that have had trauma as young children, we always are highly attuned to what's going on for everybody in the environment around us, because we want to be safe. 
And not mm-hmm. necessarily, oh my God, is this person going to stab me with a butcher knife? But like, right. I don't want that person to yell at me. So, <laughs> right. now, and I've used this to good use in my career when I've been giving um, talks to hundreds of senior executives at Kraft Foods. Like I know who's with me and I know who's not with me and I know exactly what I need to do or say or be in order to get all of them all the time. And so it's worked for me extraordinarily well in my life. It, but it left to my own devices without understanding how to work with that, it causes this overload, an overstimulation where I wanna get numb. So that's kind of a roundabout answer to your question about trauma. My experience with clients that do have trauma is they're actually more attuned than um, the average person just because of their upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point of like the heightened awareness of the environment and like seeking safety because they don't feel safe in their body. Uh, Gosh, okay. This is just so, so helpful. Um, Let's, I, I'm curious about, um, your program, the 21 day experiment, walk me through it. <clears throat> Again, it is an invitation to experiment. It's not dogmatic. There aren't rules. It's an invitation. It's like, um, you know, when you were little and you'd go and you'd have a dress up box, it's like playing dress up in the dress up box. What I ask people to do is exactly where we started. What's it costing you? How's it, how's it benefiting you? Right. And then I ask people to rate where they are in 12 different areas of life from spirituality to family, to play, to education, to work, to money, to meaning, et cetera, to how they're showing up in the world. Because guess what? You're going to come back and do that at the end again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we go through, um, you know, your ideal future self. There are four different tools that I give people to articulate that. And then I ask people, is your drunk self in keeping with where you want to go or not? And I teach them very tactical tools about how to not pick up. And then the question is, is it any better? Is it any better on day 22 than it was on day one? Because if it's not better AF, meaning both interpretations, why bother? Mm -hmm. So have you run into that? Have you run into um, people that have gone through your program, whether it's the 21 day experiment or any sort of coaching program that it wasn't better for them? Uh, No, (laughs) I really, I really have not. Yeah. I really have not. I really have not. Oh my goodness. Well, I feel like that program sounds, I think it's so amazing because that takes away the all or nothing where it's like, if you've been curious about doing this for a while and you just, I didn't know where to start or you were worried about social settings and having difficult conversations and all of that, it seems like it's a good like toe in the water. Where it's, it's not a great like, show and, yeah, yeah. It, it's not all or nothing. And I really wanted to create an alternative to AA. Yeah. That's women only. 
that's based on this idea that we all, when we get afraid, we tend to think we're inadequate in some way. Mm -hmm. And I teach people, you know, you mentioned really difficult conversations. I teach people how to design those conversations. Mm. Like typically when we have a challenging conversation, we jump right into the meat of the conversation. And the Mm -hmm. tool, one of the tools I teach is let's set context. Let's set context, which sets the emotional envelope for everything that's going to ensue during our conversation. So it can be a series of short declarative sentences about my emotional state and what the other person means to me and why this is an important conversation. Like, I so value you and you've played such an important role in my life. And I'm really nervous about having this conversation with you and something's up that doesn't feel right to me. Are you open to having that conversation? What comes after that, Courtney, uh, Brittany, is going to be completely different than me coming in and saying, hey, what the hell? You know what I mean? It's just a completely different conversation. But nobody teaches us conversational design and how to have challenging conversations in a matter-of-fact, respectful way. Mm. I mean, it's so true, but so people just avoid them because we haven't actually learned how to have difficult conversations the way one of my mentors, she used to call it like compassionate confrontation just being able to come from that place of, of love, having the conversation that would ultimately lead to a deeper connection with yourself and that person. What do difficult conversations have to do with living a alcohol-free life? It goes back to not developing the edge that needs to come off. Because if I am harboring hurt feelings from something you did or didn't do, and I don't do anything about it, I'm developing an edge. And it makes Mm -hmm. me uncomfortable enough in my own skin. And because my habit is to drink when I feel uncomfortable, it just triggers that whole, like like a stream of dominoes. And Mm -hmm. so being really vigilant about what's making me uncomfortable and where I'm being dishonest Mm -hmm. or where I'm stuffing something or where I'm not willing to look at something, that is the key to being happily alcohol-free for as long as I've been alcohol-free is not letting those those little irritations linger because if they linger, they're going to turn into blisters and they're going to make me uncomfortable. And I'm eventually going to drink. Mm, wow. That I feel like that was just like a aha light bulb moment of the edge. It's like these moments, these conversations, like just the little things that build up, create the edge. And then alcohol is the thing that takes the edge off, even though it doesn't, it temporarily takes it off but it comes back. It comes back and it comes back worse. Way, 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 way worse. And so the it comes question, back with vengeance. Right. My husband always asks me, do you want short-term pain or you want long-term pain? The short-term pain is going to be more acute. 
the long-term pain is going to be less, but it's going to go on forever. Which would you rather have? Yeah. So true. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, okay. This has been so helpful. So eye-opening and just a beautiful perspective shift for so many of us. I know I have conversations with my clients, especially the ones that find themselves buffering with alcohol when they are not feeling great. And I feel like this is a beautiful alternative and a way to explore a alcohol-free life. So thank you so much. Oh, this was a great conversation. I know such a great conversation. So much fun. So you have your experiment launching soon. Is there any other place that people can come find you in case yes question yes 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 so i'm launching this 21 day invitation experiment and if you're interested your listeners it's at juicyaf.life forward slash 21 and i am going to offer your listeners 50 percent off so get it now Oh, so great. Well, thank you so much for your generosity um, in your time. And then also offering the experiment 50% off. Um, I know just through this conversation alone, people will get so much value out of it. I know that I did. Um, Is there anything else that you want to share as we wrap up? I just want to say that I've done so many amazing things since I've gotten sober I increased my income by a multiple of six. I met and married a guy that I'm still crazy about 22 years later. I adopted a child. I've written two books. I've traveled around the world. But the thing that really is the most important to me is that I'm comfortable in my own skin. And Mm -hmm. even when I'm not, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable in my skin. Oh, I love that. I mean, isn't that what, like, that's what it's about. Like being uncomfortable is just a part of being a human. And so can we be comfortable being uncomfortable? And I think that everything we want, like all those amazing things that you just listed is possible if we're okay with getting comfortable being uncomfortable in our own skin. Oh, so good. Thank you so much, Kay. This was so eye-opening and enlightening. I appreciate you so much. Ah, What a fun conversation. Thank you.